Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and incredibly articulate individual Ram V about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA at www.getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. And on a side note, Comic Scene have launched a Kickstarter for a major new project called The History of Comics 1930-2030. to Each prestige format book covers one year of comic book history. The first four books cover 1984, 1977, 1950 and 1986. With about two weeks left of the campaign, it's fully funded, but if you'd like to get a slice of history yourself, be sure to check it out by either searching for Comic Scene as one word on Kickstarter, or by simply clicking the link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Ram V. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on, Sam. Absolute pleasure. I mean, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a real honour uh, to to have somebody of your ilk on the show. So it's very much appreciated. Um, and on that, um, for anybody that hasn't come across your work yet, and there'll be very few of those, but uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Uh, currently, I mean, I write comics, uh, and currently, I am writing superheroes at DC and Marvel, which includes. Catwoman and uh, Justice League Dark uh, and Thor. Uh, and apart from that, I do my own personal projects, most of which are with uh, creator-owned publishers like Image, uh, where I did Paradiso and got the upcoming Blue and Green, uh, and at Vault, where I did the Savage Shores. Uh, and I've got a couple of other projects coming up with, with a few creator-owned publishers here and there. Fantastic, man. And and where can people find you online? Um, mostly on Twitter, where uh, I am the right Ram as opposed to the wrong one. <laughs> uh, and occasionally on Instagram, where I am Ram V. Right. Perfect. And then you've got a website as well. Uh, yeah, it's ram-v.com. I do have a website. Uh, I don't have someone to update it regularly, so you want <laughs> <laughs> fair play man i mean all of those links are in the show notes folks so go uh, go follow uh, ram on both uh, instagram and twitter um, oh, i do also and... have a newsletter which oh, i haven't i haven't sent out in a while so <laughs> <laughs> best get on it <laughs> yeah uh, is that available through your website sorry ram uh yeah you can you can subscribe to my website and i'll just uh, sort of transport you over to the newsletter email list Perfect, ideal man. Uh, now, all of that aside, unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you, uh, and that is that there's actually Sam. been a, there's actually been a zombie outbreak. Unfortunately, sorry, Sam, your your voice is really breaking up, and so I oh, didn't no. catch a lot of that. Okay, don't worry. Um, so it's just gonna. Can you hear me better now? Uh, slightly. It still has that sort slightly. of popping. Yeah, that's so weird. It's doing that. That's really annoying, isn't it? 
Hang on. Seems to be uh, better how's now. that, Ram? How, yeah. How's that? Is that actually funny. better? I still get a little bit of popping. I think I think um, it gets really intense when you speak quickly. Okay, right. That's interesting. Um, so I'll try. I'll try and speak slower <laughs> <laughs> on that. Um, cool. Okay. So here we go. I just wanted to note that down. Um, okay. So uh, got all, much worse there. It just got much worse. <laughs> I was just literally typing yeah. this quickly. Is that any better? Yes. Like say I okay. Want to say yes. <laughs> you want to say yes? So well, we're that, gonna try. Wait, wait. That that seems to have fixed it. So that sounds perfect. Yeah. That's so weird. Whatever you did. Yeah, whatever I did. I have no idea. Um, so uh, all of that aside. Um, unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you, and that is that there's actually been a zombie outbreak um, in uh, in oh, the no. UK. And uh, my first question for you is: What is your action plan for survival? Uh, find a source of water and squat on it. <laughs> awesome! Man. Find like a I, water purification station, reservoir, or something. And start start putting down a fence. <laughs> nice man, um, like just just claim put put your flag in, claim it, um, and then uh, sell it to the highest bidders, I guess. Well, no, because I figure if you have water, then you have you know long term survival insured. Oh, yeah. that's that's 100%. the first thing you want to protect, because you know everything else can be obtained if you have a dependable source of water. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and uh, would anybody be going going along with you for the ride? Yeah, I, I'll take as many people as I can sustainably take to to keep that source of water running. <laughs> Absolutely. Anybody particular in mind, or just uh, whoever takes you fancy on the way? Uh, I mean, I've got I've got friends, obviously. So friends welcome first, uh, but I'm not sure, like. A bunch of writers are going to keep a a water a water source safe. So probably take take a few people. I mean, I don't know. Ryan O'Sullivan sounds like he could take on a few zombies. So oh, awesome. uh, so yeah. So probably Ryan. Um, I'll put I'll put Alice in charge of making paranoid escape plans, uh, and I'll put Dan in charge of the library at the water reservoir. So Fantastic. So, the, so the whole white noise contingent. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, so uh, on on your on a, on a quiet day, mm. let's say, whilst you're guarding this uh, this precious water source, mm. um, you all start chatting about comics and kind of reminiscing in the good old days and things. And the first question that comes up is, what is the first comic you remember enjoying? Um, well, the first comic I remember enjoying would be the old Lee Falk uh, Phantom newspaper strips because um, that was really my first uh, exposure to any kind of comics. Uh, I was growing up in India and, and these were part of the daily newspaper staple. Uh, and so I would collect them for the longest time. And then they got serialized and, and you know, there were actual Phantom comics coming up. But I still, I still have a great affinity for picking up the uh, newspaper and searching for the phantom strip somewhere in there. Fantastic. And was that, was that a weekly publication or monthly? Uh, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was weekly. 
Um, mm. I think it would come out on the, in the Sunday newspaper. There would be a big, big chunk of, of comics. Uh, and I mean, most of them were okay. Um, but I remember the, the Lee Fox Phantom uh, and the, and the Tintin serialization. Those were my, those were my favorites. Fantastic. And what was it about the, the Phantom in particular that spoke to you, do you think? Oh, I think it was just the, just a sense of like a, a bigger mythology behind everything. The, the fact that they had all these traditions and, and, you know, it wasn't just the first Phantom. He was like, <coughs> excuse me, he was the seventh or the eighth or something like that. Um, and there was all this folklore behind it and some of it was fake and some of it was real. Um, and the, uh, they had married that so successfully with like the political intrigue of uh, of the of the sort of African nations. Uh, although it wasn't the original wasn't set in Africa; it was set somewhere near Thailand, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, awesome man. Uh, and there's so, an interesting um, story there actually. Uh, oh, go on, sorry, please. I just remembered. Go on. But the original place where they set it. Uh, was in the jungles near Thailand, and it was called Bengala. Um, and the the problem with that was in India, there's an actual state called Bengal. Uh, yeah. And so it was very confusing because uh, people from Bengal thought they were being portrayed as, you know, tribe, tribal people in, in, a, in, a, in a forest. Uh, and so they objected to it. And so the Indian version had that changed to Denkali and... It was no longer in Thailand; it was in Africa, and that's why, that's why my my version of the Phantom is very different from the original one. How funny is that? Yeah. Um, that's, it's it's so interesting, like just those little things. And yeah, you, you do have to change it like entirely. Yeah. <laughs> <Those things. laughs> Definitely. This refers to an actual group of people. Maybe we should yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> not. We'll sidestep that one, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so when, when did you uh, become aware that, you know, there are actual creators behind comic strips and comics at large? Sorry? Uh, when did you actually become first aware that they were kind of creators behind this and that it, it didn't just, you know, appear out of nowhere? Um, I mean, I was, I was just interested in, in comic strips as a kid uh, in reading them. Um, you know, they were part of, they were part of my childhood culture, I suppose. Uh, and then I stopped reading them for, for the longest time. Um, and then I was 21 or 20 and I was in the States and someone handed me the first volume of Sandman. Uh, and, um, I started reading that and that, that really kind of built my interest back in, uh, in terms of at least creating them. Does that, does that yeah. answer the question? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so then you started to get an aspiration to actually become a comic book writer from there. Yeah, I've always been interested in writing, but not necessarily mm-hmm. comic books. Um, I remember my first kind of real attempt at writing came when I was 12 or 13, uh, and I had just finished reading Lord of the Rings, and I decided I was going to be the one to write the next big sprawling trilogy fantasy uh but it just turned out to be uh, a cheap knockoff of lord of the rings at the time uh <laughs> but 
the thing that I always remember and, and I suppose in hindsight indicates to me that my interest was always there is I actually wrote 40,000 words as a, as a 12 year old uh, of this wow. story that I had made up out of nowhere. And I think that is by far the most useful thing to have. It's just the, just the discipline to kind of sit down and write regularly. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, for, for, for a young man like that to kind of, you know, sit down and actually do that as a extracurricular activity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's incredible. Um, great commitment and determination. Yeah. And I think, I think that is genuinely a, a very underrated skill and I'm glad I developed it when I was a kid. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose like, you know, um, writers should, should always try and, you know, write when you can and trying to just gain as much experience as you can. And like, even if it's not going to get published or anything like that, doing an exercise like writing a, a Lord of the Rings type book um, is is great experience, especially for a young person to try and, you know, get a handle on how to do this. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, uh, I, I guess my, my introduction to professional writing comes after I tried to be a chemical engineer for seven, seven and a half years too. Wow. Um, and and as, an, as an engineer, the thing I learned was there are a lot of tedious things that you need to do uh, as part of your job. Um, they're not particularly entertaining or engaging. Um, and when I started writing, so I was, there was never a part of me that went, um, I'm, I'm made uncomfortable by having to do something that is tedious. Right. And so on some days, and, and I don't know how many people actually say this on some days, the writing is going to be tedious. It's not going to come easily. And the thing that separates the, the professionals from the amateur writers is that even on that day, the professional will sit down and, and put out words because good writing comes from editing. It doesn't come from putting down the perfect words the first time around. Wow, that's great advice um, for all, all budding writers out there, including myself. So thanks very much for that, Ram. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, great, I great mean, advice. you can edit bad writing. You can't do anything with a blank page, right? So Bingo. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly it, man. Amazing. Uh, now, uh, going back to the uh, to the reservoir um, or the, the precious water source, um, the next question that comes up in your conversation is, what is the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most? Yeah, my earliest memory of actually laughing at a comic is, um, I mean, I probably laughed at a lot of comics as a kid, but my the thing that sticks with me in my head where I finished reading this comic and I went like, that was hilarious, was reading uh, Yonan Vasquez's Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Um, it was just all kinds of wrong humor, you know. Uh, it was terrible. There was blood and gore everywhere. People were being murdered unrepentantly. Um, I remember, I specifically remember uh, there was a panel where like he, he cuts open someone's head, takes out their brains and, and tosses it against the wall. And there's a little caption box next to the brain that says, we want to assure you that this violence is not real. His brain does not actually belong to this character. In fact, it's only a bag of gelatin filled with blood and entrails taken from a homeless person. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> That's 
hardcore. Yeah, yeah. It was the entire book is full of stuff like that. Like, it, it again, it's one of those experiences like you get from reading Mad comics, where there is, of course, a story that is going on in front of you. But then, if you start looking at the little details in the panels, you get like all kinds of other stuff happening um, in the comic as well. And I remember feeling like that about. Uh, GHTM as well, so it's awesome, man. Um, and uh, yeah, no, just the the, the art style um, for, for for the listeners. Um, it's 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 cartoon esque, but it's kind of like how would you best describe it, Ram? I don't know. I, I guess I, I guess I describe it as very young and Vasquez because my yeah, yeah. my point of my point of reference is I don't know if anyone saw, but there was this cartoon on Cartoon Network called Invader Zim. Boom, that's exactly what I was thinking. Sorry, Ram. <laughs> yeah, so I mean but but Invader Zim is Yonan Vasquez. It's him. Yeah. No, yeah. So so yeah, so that's what it looks like. Yeah. Exactly that. So it is it is exactly that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um that's fantastic. Um, so, uh, moving on uh, to our next question and kind of changing gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. The next question that comes up is, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? See, this, this, is, this is a difficult one to answer because I suppose... Um, like, I, do, I don't know that comics have really elicited that strong um, a reaction from me um, for, for anything. Uh, so I had a really tough time pinning this down, but I suppose my most recent uh, memory of reading something and going like, oh man, that, like, that really like, hit me in a spot where, where I, I feel the emotion of this comic. Uh, it was probably North Number Two, which is part of the the Pluto series uh, by Naoki Urasawa. So it's technically manga, but I think I think we can we can club that in with comics, right? Yes, yeah, it's allowed, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and it's, um, I mean, Pluto in itself is such a great series, but that that particular issue, if you will, or that particular chapter, uh, really hits you, really hits you, yeah. And and what's the what's the premise for for anybody that hasn't come across that series before? So the the premise of the series is it's actually Urasawa's mature um, and adult take, which also acts as a sequel to Tetsuka's Astro Boy, um, and so it's actually set in a in a in a world in a future where you know there are, there are robots present with, with human beings that are that in, in that are part of society and they're meant to be essentially there for service. Um, like their prime directive is never to kill a human. And then there's a, there's a series of murders that starts happening and this detective starts investigating them and that takes him down this kind of spiral of philosophical spiral of what makes robots different from human beings and where do emotions come from and all of that. So it is, it is a great read. Yeah. And what was it in particular about, about uh, the Pluto North number two that really, you know, pulled on your heart? I, I don't, I don't remember the, the massive detail of it, but I think no. it's just this, I, I think it's just a, 
fact that this is uh, North Number Two is a ex war robot, I believe, who right. comes into service of this musician, who and they initially have a very distant relationship, uh, but then it, it kind of goes into the musician building his relationship with this robot by trying to explain why music is evocative and 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 why it's important. And then eventually, I think North Number Two goes back into war or something. I can't. I, I don't remember the specifics of it now, but um, I do remember closing that chapter and just going like, "Whoa, that was heavy." Yeah, man. I suppose kind of you know um, uh, something like a an artificially intelligent robot learning something like music. And then having to go off to war, now having kind of become more human in a way. Yeah, that's, yeah. That there's something tragic. <laughs> yeah, there's something tragic, tragic right? about being given redemption. I suppose if you if you are if you value humanity and human emotions, you 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 look at this machine of war that has learned to become peaceful and loving and kind, and then has to go back into it. Now, having seen a glimpse of what it is like to be peaceful and loving and kind, exactly that's brutal, man. <laughs> that is terribly upsetting. Um, now, uh, changing gears once again, um, the next question that comes up is what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Uh, this is this is even more difficult. I feel like these questions are increasing in difficulty. Uh, this is <laughs> even more difficult for me to answer because. I think it's very rare that horror is done well in comics. Um, so the the I, I won't say scared, but I'll say viscerally affected is is probably is probably Uzumaki by Jinji Ito, uh, and just the the sort of all pervading spiral motif in that book is yeah. is is upsetting to read. Um, but is it really scary? I don't know. I don't know. Hor- horrifying, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like looking, looking at all of, a, a lot of Junji Ito's um, artwork and storytelling can be rather horrifying to the mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. If you haven't grown up on a staple diet of bad '80s movie makeup in horror films, sure. But otherwise, I've seen all of that, man. I've seen yeah. I've seen the weird wobbly skin lesions coming out, and I've seen the face spiraling into nothing. I've seen that um, for sure. Man. So it's not to me. I think it's more the the fact that the spiral is present everywhere. Everywhere you look for it, there's a spiral, and and that is more interesting to me than the sort of oh my god, his face is kind of spiraling in on itself. Yeah that sort of thing just like this creepy omnipresent presence yeah yeah and it's also like i find i find that most interesting horror is in the subliminal messaging of the images right so the fact that the spiral is there on every page and in every chapter and and probably underlying the structure of the story itself like I, f- I find that to be more affecting than than any one thing in the book. That's awesome, man. That's deep. It's <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> now, uh, moving on to uh, one of my favorite questions, and that is, what is your favorite cover? 
Yeah, um, I had to think about this for a while. Um, but I think my favorite cover, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily appreciate covers because of their characters or their history. Or no, I'm looking at this purely from a design and art perspective. And so, mm-hmm. Massimo Carnivale is one of my favorite favorite cover artists, and he did a cover for the final issue of Northlanders for the Icelandic trilogy, which is just a a helm uh, and the 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 feet of a seagull on top of those on top of that helm uh and it's it's such a beautiful well-designed iconic image so that's my favorite cover absolutely it's very evocative um, yeah it is and kind of, you know you want to find out more you know whose helmet is that are they dead it does it does so many things it tells you about the location so you yeah. you know it's going to be at the waterfront um, it tells you who it's about because you see the helm and you know, oh yeah, it's Vikings, right? Um, and it tells you, it leaves you with the sense of like, ah, this is the remnant of this whole huge story that we've been telling. So it even fulfills that sort of final issue vibe, if you will. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think all around, it's just a lovely, very, very successful cover. Very much so. It's a great one. Really good choice. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the lighting in it is really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just like bouncing off of the seagull's legs and the top of the helmet. Yeah, you can almost oh. hear the sort of waves lashing in the background and the seagulls crying out. And all that's left of the story is this one helm abandoned on the ground somewhere. Like, it's beautiful. No, no. no it is, man. That's great. Awesome. Love it. Uh, now, uh, moving on to uh, another very interesting uh, question, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Yeah, I think it has to be Sandman 1, because, as I said before, that's the comic that I read that I went, okay, I want to write comics. I want to tell stories in this medium, because this is beautiful. Um I mean, not necessarily issue one, because I read the whole trade. It was Sandman had already been out by the, by the time I started reading it. But, um, so volume one, perhaps, is more indicative. But that's the thing that kind of pulled me back into comics, if you will. Because as a kid, when I was growing up, I didn't really get to read any of the Marvel DC stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I mostly read, you know, Phantom, Flash Gordon, Mandrake, Tintin, Asterix, that kind of stuff. Um and I stopped reading comics for the longest time because, um, you know, I was reading actual books, serious books, ha ha. Because that's what my parents said I had to do. Which, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not um, dismissing the usefulness of reading widely. Uh, but I guess coming back to and reading that first volume of Sandman was really the point where my brain went, see? I told you you could do something cool with this. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's the one that made me want to write comics. So that's probably the most meaningful to me. That's always going to be there. That's awesome, man. Because uh, it, it is, it's really interesting um, seeing the development of comics and, you know, the, the mainstream perception of comics. Yeah. And you, you, you still get, you know, most people think that comics is just a Beano dandy and kind of, yeah, Marvel and DC mm-hmm. and things. Um, 
and and even then they don't know where it's gone with Marvel and DC. They, yeah. they still they still think that you know Adam West is Batman or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I mean that kind look, of style. <laughs> even even though comics is part of the popular culture, it's only the aftermath of comics that's part of the popular culture conversation. Like yeah. most of the people who's seen the Iron Man movie have not read the Iron Man comics. You know what I mean? Um, And so despite its significant effect on pop culture, it continues to be a relatively niche medium. So I don't really, I mean, I don't really pay much attention to to people who have opinions like, Oh, comics are for kids or whatever. But um, what, what troubles me more is creators and and people in comics coming to comics as a medium where you do the bare minimum you just you just think it's a sequence of action and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and there is no narrative complexity there's no attempt at doing something bigger or more interesting or or deeper uh and i feel like to me sandman was one of the first books that made me think of comics as more than just you know sequence of pretty pictures on a page yeah yeah totally man um that's uh it's a fantastic way to put it and just yeah always trying to inspire people to to perhaps kind of do more with comics push the boundaries make sure they actually kind of put i mean i guess i guess that's the that's the acid test right I was on Twitter a few weeks ago, a few months ago, maybe, and I saw there was a there was a I don't know late thirties woman who had posted that she picked up Sandman because her kids were reading it and she read the first volume, and that like got her into comics again. So yeah. all these years later, I mean, we're in twenty twenty, and it's still getting people who are new to comics to to get sucked in and get involved in, in the medium and, and read more widely. So, I mean, there's nothing I can say that can extol its virtues more than that. That's fantastic, man. Great. Uh, now, the uh, next question that comes up at the uh, at the Reservoir is, uh, what's the most mm-hmm. underrated comic that you've read? See, um, I don't really know what's underrated or overrated or rated well appropriately because I don't have the kind of vast comic reading childhood experience that a lot of other people do. Like my reading of comics generally came after, you know, I was 20, I read Sandman, then I followed the sort of vertigo rabbit hole from there. Um, And so everything I've read has then been, people recommending like, oh, you haven't read this amazing run. You should go read this. Uh, And so I've only read the good stuff, if you will. Um, But the one series that I would pick for this is the series that, in my opinion, is good. And in my conversations with other people in comics, I find that they haven't read it, which makes me think it's underrated. Um, And so that's Human Target. With, with Peter Milligan and uh, Javier Polito and, and the, the artists that followed. Um, it's Again, it's a Vertigo series, but man, it really reinvented 
that character in a way where it became this meditation on identity and, and who you really are. Are you the friends you make? Are you the place where you live? Are you the people that you hang out with? Or are you, are you the thing that looks back at you from the mirror? You know, like it was a really, really cool, cool series. And I uh, wish more people read it, would read it. Fantastic. And uh, just for, for, because I hadn't come across human target before. Aha. So, you know, that's gone straight onto my reading pile again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, for, for folks that haven't come across it, uh, what, what, what is the premise of Human Target? Because it's really interesting. So Human Target was this old DC character who um, whose kind of shtick is that he takes on the appearance of people who are his his ability before this series was that he he could take on anyone's appearance and mannerisms and become and so was this master of disguise if you will uh, and was an expert at espionage and uh, all that sort of stuff. What the book does is it significantly takes that power set and reinvents the premise of the book, in which he becomes this character who takes on the lives of people that are in danger, that are in trouble. Um, and so makes himself the human target, if you will. Um, and ends up, you know, solving crime, solving drama, helping people uh, in that way. Uh, and so it's, it's intelligently written crime slash personal drama. Yeah. It's really cool premise. Um, that so I'm I'm absolutely going to be putting that on my uh, on my reading list. Um, and yeah, I suppose I suppose if I were to describe it in one line, if I were to try and say one line about it that I think would garner interest, I would say if you could look like anyone else, would you forget who you were in the first place? That's cool. <laughs> That's a really cool um, kind of. Uh, pitch <laughs> to get yeah. people to read it. Very cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you should re uh, rewrite or kind of reboot it. Ram. Uh, there was some talk about it. I I have my take yeah. on the character. So, but I I, I mean, it, for whatever reason, that didn't pan out. But there's oh, definitely yeah. there's definitely a pitch that's somewhere in the DC inboxes with my take on human target. So there you go. Well, I want to see it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start a petition and make it happen. Really release the Ram V cut. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> release the Ram V cut. Love that. I'm going to make up a poster right now. Um, <laughs> now uh, moving on to our most difficult question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is for you, what is the best comic of all time? Yeah, see, again, I like I'm not I'm definitely not gonna give you an answer for it. Like all the other ones I've been like, oh I have you know, it's a really difficult question, but here's an answer. This one is like just just a matter of principle. I don't name my favorite movie, I don't name my favorite song, and so I can't name my favorite comic, if you will. Um No problem. And re- and really I c- if I could name ten or keep going, then I would, because then, you know, <laughs> From Hell would be in there, definitely. Um, you would have, you'd have um, 
Electra assassin in there. You'd have Watchmen in there. You'd have Mouse in there. You'd have Metropolis in there. Um, you'd have, let's see, <laughs> how many can I name? Asterios <laughs> would certainly be there. Um, what else? What else? Day Tripper would certainly be there. Sandman, of course. Um, I mean, Batman Year One would definitely be there. So yeah, man, like there's there's way too many great great comics out there that are that are all amazing and brilliant for their for their own reasons. And so while it's certainly possible for me to pick out like the top top one percent of comics. Uh, yeah. To pick a best, or, or yeah, pick a best would be unreasonable. No problem. Uh, however, uh, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Uh, it would be Day Tripper by by Moon and Bar, and and this answer is easy because of all those comics that I mentioned, Day Tripper is probably the most hopeful, and so. I would take that comic to remember what it was like to to have hope. That's beautiful, man. I mean, that's it. That's exactly what we need in an apocalypse and in today's society. So, um, I think that's a perfect one to finish on. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. I mean, of of all the, I suppose of all the great comics that I mentioned, Day Trooper probably has the most impact in terms of you putting closing the book and going like, I feel that life is an interesting thing and, and worthy of being lived well. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, we need, we need more of that in the world. Um, definitely. And uh, for, for anybody that hasn't come across day tripper um, again, what's the, what's the premise? Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it because it's such an interesting premise. But but it's it's essentially um, this book by Fabio Moon and Gabriel Barr about uh, a a character in their home country of Brazil. It's about his experiences with death uh, and how those experiences in turn affirm life if you will. So I, I will, I will leave it at that because I think to talk about the premise would kind of ruin the experience of reading it. Nice. Uh, and our, uh, our last question for you today is uh, what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you as well? The collected omnibuses of Sandman one, two, and three, because those are some heavy books. <laughs> I mean, you read them, and then if you could launch them out of a suitable device, I'm pretty sure they would do a lot of damage. I have no doubt. Um, particularly if you can get hold of any hardback editions. Well, no, they're not hardback editions. They're basically the entire run collected in three giant box set books, and so they are genuinely heavy. Like, I, like one of them must be must weigh at least like six or seven kg. So. Wow, <laughs> that is good going, isn't it? Um, so I know yeah, that would absolutely do some damage as well as having some uh, decent uh, reading material as well. 
Exactly. See, I cheated on the previous question. If, <laughs> if there is only one comic I could take with me, I'd take Day Tripper, but I'd take all the all the other stuff that I want to read as weapons. Very clever. Um, and uh, that's uh, that's a good place to finish. So, Ram V, thank you so much uh, for sharing your comics for the apocalypse today. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, I, I imagine this will be a useful listen for, for readers, considering we're so close to the apocalypse right now. Oh, very much so, very much so. <laughs> uh, and, and for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you online? Yeah, um, I'm mostly on Twitter, uh, on uh, at the right Ram, uh, or on Instagram on Ram Writes, and I have a website which I am shamefully backlogged on updating, which is ram-v.com. Great. Well, Ram, thank you again so much uh, for your time today. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, yeah, hopefully our paths will cross at a Comic Con uh, when they get up and running again. But uh, that probably won't be till next year. Yeah, and no, I was looking forward to to Thought Bubble this year, uh, yeah. but but that's not going to happen. So, so hopefully next year. But I'll be I'll be probably be doing like a writing workshop as part of Thought Bubble Online. So hopefully people will tune in for that. Amazing! I'll definitely be uh, be in attendance for that. So um, right. yeah, and I assume you can you'll be able to do all that through the Thought Bubble website when they kind of sort out the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Ram V, thank you so much again. Um, and uh, as I always say, I'll see you on Twitter. Yep. See you there. <laughs> Thanks, Ram. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Ram for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but a I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Ram's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.